Hey, well, a thousand mile journey is started with a single step. Is is Ellen our, our first stepper? Yeah, Ellen, you're our, our first step. Okay, let me find the page. Here it is. Okay. Meet the parsnips. Practice proceed in stages. We go through one stage and suddenly we may drop into another. We usually stay in a certain stage for years and then there's a shift and our life opens up. What's hard is that those openings occur nearly always because of crisis or difficulty. Each stage may have many little crises within it because the nature of human life is that it presents a small crisis almost daily, but somewhere along the way, there is a bigger, there is a bigger internal shift. And Glenn. Yes, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to, Kim, how do I see if there's somebody waiting in the, in the chamber? Well, you'll see a little red dot next to the word participants. And that means somebody new has come in? Yeah, someone to let in. Is that what you mean? Yes, because I can't yeah. see my list like I normally can. Okay. Oh. Um, all right. Uh, we are all in one way or another going to hit difficulties. It may look different in each of our lives, but we're going to hit crisis. We all, know, uh, we all go through great lengths to try and make sure we don't hit difficulty, but it doesn't do any good. Maybe severe illness, a job-related crisis, or relationship difficulty, or maybe a crisis that happens inside. Sometimes there's just a feeling of sorrow or difficulty that accumulates within us. Mm. <laughs> Any practice that pretends it will bring you sweetness and light is not honest. Now, I heard the other day someone talking about how wonderful they always feel after they've been sitting. And I don't know that everyone feels that, do they? Not always. I, I generally feel good after maybe, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. I do not feel good after hours of an intensive necessarily. But one thing we gain from sitting regularly is an ability to deal unwillingly at first with the crises of our lives. When we practice consistently and honestly, it leaves us more open, softer, more vulnerable, more compassionate, and maybe a little more humble. I will just listen to the Okay. okay. So it's, it's Nancy. Yes. It's say a little bit more humble. Oh, I say a little bit more humble because that one is tricky. We may look humble, but inside we are arrogant. Now, when something threatens that we think we know, and a lot of things threaten it every day, we feel attacked. So we threaten on the time. If we don't practice for these little crises that happen every day, then when a real big difficulty comes, it's like being dropped into 
turbulent water, even though we don't know how to swim. We have to learn to swim. The best way to learn to swim is to make your daily life your practice. That's when we learn to swim, at least well enough so we can go into deep water and do and not get into trouble. The very nature of the disciple, the very nature of the discipline involved in sitting regularly helps us not to drown. But even though it may save our life, it doesn't mean we want to do it. In fact, we do almost anything to avoid the pain and the difficulty. <laughs> um, back to me. I'm Nelda. Nelda. Think of sitting as eating, and what we have to digest is difficulty. You like most food, but there is one you particularly don't like, say parsnips. I hate parsnips, but your best friend is giving a dinner party and a big bowl of parsnips is sitting in the middle of the dining table. Your friend tells you that she's made this wonderful new recipe and you're going to love it. <laughs> She loads up your plate with parsnips. How are you oh. going to avoid them? Oh, now you're muted, Nelda. Going to avoid them. Parsnips don't look any better close up, by the way. They look worse. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> what we want to do with difficulties is keep them away. To discuss the parsnips perhaps, but never ever eat one. <laughs> we'll eat anything else. Ants or crickets or frog legs. But parsnips? No way. <laughs> Until we get to a certain point when that's what we have to eat. We get to a point where the parsnips difficulties are in front of us. There's all the tension and suffering that comes from trying to pretend our difficulties aren't happening. At some point, we can't avoid it any longer, but we realize we don't know what it means to not keep avoiding it. So we try to pretend. When we can't avoid it, we try and figure out how to fool everybody into thinking we ate them. There's a dog handy. You know, you can try feeding them to the dog under the table. You can move them around your plate a lot, read a book about them. A parsnip is still a parsnip. It's still there needing to be eaten. So what are you going to do? It's important to honestly experience our reactions. I'm having trouble with this because I like parsnips, but I'll try. <laughs> I'm not trying to say you should try and love parsnips. We have some in the refrigerator that I'm going to roast. False positive thinking would say, you know, parsnips are really wonderful. I'm lucky to have the parsnips. Other people are starving. So I will just go enjoy eating this. Then you throw up. That's not genuinely being with that situation. <laughs> you can't eat it. Just look at the little pile of parsnips, be there with it. And in our terms, honestly experience it. Feel what you feel within your body. 
eventually the eating will come a little easier. Sometimes we have to stay in that halfway place where you don't do anything except just look at the problem and see how you feel about it for a long, long time. Nelda. Oh, didn't I just read? We're back. It's your turn again. <laughs> Already, boy. <laughs> All right. I was really into the words. Then when we can, we take an eighth of an inch by an eighth of an inch, put it in and swallow it. And the next time that particular vegetable comes around, well, wait, hold on. I can't, I can't slide it up. Oh. You need a smaller, I can. No, it's just that the, how? The recording when it does the there it we covers go. it up. It does. Wait, when you say the recording, do you mean the transcript? The transcript it's, covers you, up the print. You should be able to turn off the transcript. And how does one do that? There, there's an X to the right on the. I don't know. You're on a phone, so I don't know. Right. <laughs> there's not a line that says it's being, or down below where it says transcript. It says full transcript, disconnect audio. You know, unless someone else has a problem with it, I'll read as far as I can read and okay. then- Okay, well, I made it smaller. Does that help? No, but or it's all it, good. Th does this help? No, it's all no. good, Kim. Okay. Okay, so where were we? <laughs> now we're blank. <laughs> oh no, what happened? Oh no. Life. <laughs> the parsnips got us. There you go. <laughs> wow. Mm. Holy bear. All right. Where are we now? So we. No, I don't know. Is this uh, where we are? The next page, Nelda Red. There, there you are, throwing up. Yeah. Okay. Oh. No, no, past that. I already finished that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, an eighth yeah. of an inch by an eighth of an inch is where I got. Oh, I can see it now. Don't move. Okay. Well, I didn't die from that. So maybe I could do a half inch by half inch bite. We work up to it. That's what daily life practice is like. First, an eighth of an inch, then a little more and a little more and a little more. Our capacity grows. Not that you have to like parsnips, but sometimes you can eat them. Does this resonate with anyone? It makes me think of my childhood, because <laughs> I thought was gross. No, I don't mean the parsnips, but it being a metaphor for, for practice. Yeah, I, I can understand it. Okay. Nancy, how about you? I try to think of a uh, uh, difficult situation. Um, yeah, I have a, a person that I'm very afraid to meet. Um, but there's some times that I cannot refuse or avoid to meet that person. Yeah, avoid meeting that person. I think practice have a little bit 
I I try to just stay with the feeling and uh, it still takes a lot of time, but I have not reached to the point that I can eat them. I mean, like, to, to really meet them uh, without the the feeling of anxiety or anything. Still have like uncomfortable to be present with that person. But slowly, little by little. <laughs> Anyone else want to say anything? Okay, parsnips. Okay, <laughs> let's see. Um, this is uh, okay. I think this is where we are. We meet the parsnips everywhere. There is no answer except the one thing we have to do, and to understand that is what practice is about, to understand our own resistance, to understand a little bit how to deal with that resistance, and to know that even if you handle <coughs> the parsnips, there will be something else next. Self-confidence. This practice is all about freedom, not for the sake of something called freedom, but freedom so that we can function. If you're paralyzed by a hundred varieties of parsnips, oh God, she's going to keep going. If you're paralyzed by a hundred varieties of parsnips, you can't move. You're so busy avoiding and rationalizing that you don't have any time to live. You have to take care of one problem and another and another, or you else you can't live. You're not free. Life feels meaningless and constricting. We may experience this as a vague, constantly unpleasant feeling. Our whole practice is the practice of freedom. Not freedom to do whatever we want, but freedom in any given situation to be with whatever it is and the freedom to be able to respond appropriately and with compassion. Uh, Self-confidence isn't something you read in a book and then you do 10 things. Self-confidence comes when, no matter what happens, you know that after drawing back a few times and trying to avoid it, you, <laughs> you settle in, you can digest it. You'll begin to see what practice is and what you might do about it because it gives you freedom. It's not an aimless thing to do. If I can handle the parsnips, it means I can go to any dinner party, be courteous to the hostess and eat what is served. And when you have this resilience and self-confidence, it radiates out, affecting others. If you can get along with your partner, your children will be happier. You may not be doing anything in particular with the children, but if you find yourself less annoying and more loving and accepting with your partner, the children change too. This is true anywhere. It doesn't mean we eat what is tossed. If a relationship or a situation isn't good for our health, we should leave. It means we can handle anything that's served by life. It means we have more discernment over what we can digest that's necessary for our health and what we need to leave behind. The question is, how can we digest in a way that feeds us and gives us strength? Is it my turn? Yes. 99.4% okay. of our problems 
Most of us have this one basic question. How can I have a life that makes some sense, that feels good in a certain sense, and is meaningful or satisfactory to me? It's a fine question, but why does it seem so hard to solve? Something almost always bothers us. If it isn't people, it's situations, or the economy, or the election, or something else. Or, if nothing bothers us at the moment, there's always the hidden little idea that maybe this won't continue. And it probably won't. We buy stuff, a lot of stuff. And that can be fun for a moment, but most of us who practice are pretty clear that's not the answer. Being a human with the amazing minds that we have, we begin looking for an answer to this question. We're hoping for some magical understanding, some vision of life, and some great experience that's going to do it. A Zen monk once asked the great teacher, Dazu Huai, what is great nirvana? The monk was asking the same question we're all asking. What is the great wonderful answer? The teacher replied, not to commit oneself to the karma of birth and death is great nirvana. The monk continued, what then is the karma of birth and death? And the teacher answered, to desire the great nirvana is the karma of birth and death. Anyone want to unpack that one before we go on? How about Glenn? No, no, I'm, I'm asking. Um, all right, don't get caught on the word karma. Dazu uh, Huikai is just saying to desire this great answer is the great mistake. Or I could just read the next sentence. Well, I think one thing it points to is the problem with desire. To me. So it says to avoid the karma of birth and death, and then to desire the great nirvana is the karma of birth and death. So you should avoid the desire of great karma. How about anyone else? Is that what other people see? It seems like great nirvana is not desired to have the great nirvana. Wait, great nirvana is what? Is not to have the desire for the great nirvana. Right, yeah, that's how I read it. Right. Well, we all desire a great answer. So what are we gonna do? Our life doesn't quite suit us. We want an answer. And the master is saying that just wanting the answer itself is your mistake. Where does that leave us? More annoyed than ever. I have an old book that I used to pour over many years ago. It's so old it was photocopied and is hardly holding together. It's by an English philosopher who called himself Wei Wu Wei for whatever reason. <laughs> he wrote the book, 99.4% of our problems come from a concern for the self, and there isn't any self. Another way of saying this is that all our problems are versions of myself is disturbed by what other selves are doing. And there aren't any other selves. <laughs> there isn't a separate self because there's nothing in the universe that's truly separate. From the absolute point of view, there's nothing that's separate. 
On the level that we live, though, there's nothing but problems. That's why it is a great error to be attached to finding the truth of life and the source of all happiness. <coughs> if we think, I have to understand everything, then this is a great error because there is no I to understand anything. There's always myself confronting yourself. If I were to look at ourselves close enough, closely enough, if I were to get a big enough microscope, I could see that we make up molecules. Molecules. Uh, molecules. <laughs> yeah, I could see that we make up molecules. But suppose we look with a much more high power instrument than that. If we could have a great enough magnification, we see that for the most part, we just like an energy. It makes scientific sense that we are the same thing. I love that. I just love that yeah. pantheism right there. Yeah. Our problems come because at the level at which we live, the material plane, as we call it, we're distributed into little packages that look like a you, a me, the guy I like, and the guy I don't like. We have all these packages. Now, it's not so hard to rattle through thinking like that and to see that we're all the same thing. When somebody insults you, it doesn't make any difference at all that on some ultimate level, they are no different than you. On the level of the everyday and on the level of the body, it still hurts. That's the problem with trying to attack the human problem from the standpoint, standpoint of philosophy or physics. You can understand anything intellectually, but it doesn't affect your life. I can say to myself, He's just a bundle of light and I'm just a bundle of light. But if he doesn't like the way I cooked his lunch, well, I'm still annoyed. The great oneness of everything may be the ultimate reality, but we don't usually notice it very much in our everyday lives. Hasting or judging? What on earth does any of this have to do with our actual living from moment to moment? We can practice in a way that makes inroads into what we think is the reality of the separate self. We do this by just practicing with what is, leaving all the thinking stuff behind. This ultimate reality is always present in our experience when we have moments unclouded by thought or judgment. The other day I was eating with a group of students. One, one student who had who's been practicing for a long time, asked another, are you tasting or just judging? Putting these two words, tasting and judging side by side, sums up the human problem in a nutshell. When we're totally tasting our food, running a mile, tying our shoelace or frying an egg, there is no self. As you eat, you can just experience the oatmeal or rice or whatever you're eating. In other words- No, no, no. Well, I, I maybe I heard you say it wrong, but can you? As you eat, can you, can you, as you eat, can you just experience the oatmeal or rice or whatever you're eating, question mark? In other words, have you got your mind wrapped around the thing or are you simply experiencing it? Perhaps you have an opinion of the oatmeal 
We spend a lot of time with our opinions. I'm not saying that for the whole of the meal, you have to strictly notice only the food. Just eat and be aware of whatever you're aware of. It seems that you could be aware of the fact that you're judging too. Maybe she's going to say that. Hmm. There's the, what? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. There's the food, but you are probably also aware of the sounds around you, the temperature of the air. Those are part of the experience of just eating with the whole of your experience doing this one thing. So question, because for me, part of the experience of eating is, is it salty? Is it bitter? Is it sweet? Am I enjoying it? Am I not enjoying it and trying to release into the not enjoying it? And so what does she mean by judging? I think it's okay to say this is too salty in your, you know, as you're talking, this is too salty for my experience. Is that judging? Hmm. I'm, I, I, and I'm really, truly asking. Whether it be eating or in life. <laughs> I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a good question. Um I don't know that I can. Okay, I guess tasting would just be noticing. Tasting, oh, it's salty, oh, it's sweet. I mean, I taste, I taste salt, I taste sweet, or the taste is salt, the taste is sweet. And then judging would be, I don't like salt. It's too salty. I don't like it. It's too salty. I don't like it. It's too sweet. Maybe that would be the difference. How about this, Ellen? How about in life? Oh, I love sunshine. Oh, I just love summer sunshine, right? And, th th and that's an experience. You're feeling it. You're feeling the warmth. And you're also holding and enjoying yeah. the, the, and, and observing and being conscious of your emotional response to it, right? At the other end of the spectrum, your body's on fire. I think it's okay. <laughs> to, me, to me, it's, uh, uh, you know... I'm burning. I'm literally burning, and that's painful. And uh, you're trying to hold that like those parsnips, but um, I'm still not getting the distinction between what. Well, here's the the trap, I think, and I've seen this a lot with art, where people um, go right to the judgment rather yeah. than experience the art, uh, rather than looking at it. They're just judging it and then passing it, passing by it. Okay. Okay. You Thank know. you, Kim. That's so. Very so if helpful. you stick with mm. the, if you stick with the experience for a while, for a little bit longer, mm. or we do that probably with people too, where we judge them rather than listen to them or be with them. So I, I don't know that it's possible or. You know, even like when Ellen and I were doing the stuff with the five aggregates, you kind of move in or you're, you're dependent co-arising. You move through these different stages, but you don't want to short change yourself. Is that the word? Short. You know what I mean? By bypassing. Mm -hmm. You don't want to bypass. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So who's reading now? Me? Mm -hmm. It's me. Okay. Uh, you continue. Uh could you like to continue? Wait, you need a new page? No, no, I mean, uh, no, okay. Then I'm, I'm There's no way to get stuck in the idea of yourself when you're just doing something. 
really doing it? Are you tasting your food? Or are you worrying, analyzing, speculating, or remembering? Uh, and remembering. Right now, are you reading these words? Or are you judging? Probably a little of both. Do I like this idea? Do I agree with this idea? Or perhaps you're trying to hurry up and finish this chapter so you can get to whatever else you want to do with your afternoon. Are you tasting or are you judging? Are you driving or are you remembering what happened last week? Are you planning your class or are you thinking about what happened last time with that class? Are you listening? Or do you already have thoughts about what that person is saying before they've even finished the sentence? The question about listening is a big one because most of us find listening almost impossibly hard. Are you receiving or are you pushing away with your mind? We don't want to receive. We want to keep ourselves separate and have an idea of everything out there with our little mind judging so we can be sure it's safe. I'll keep you at just the right distance. Maybe it's six inches away, but no closer. Am I feeling my body or am I upsetting myself? The minute you're feeling your body, the minute you taste, there is no self. The minute you're really doing anything, there is no self, no self, no problem. When you wake up and you've got a difficult day ahead of you, your head fills with thoughts. I look at my calendar sometimes and I think, yuck, just yuck. But I practice enough that I do that, but that I do that once and then I begin to just feel my way through each thing I do each day and it's fine. Feeling yuck is okay, but do you stay with yuck? Thinking and worrying and feeling sorry for yourself, which is all thinking, which is all thinking born of your core belief, or do you taste the moment? The uses of the mind. We tend to think if we could just settle the question of what life is, we'd be happy. But there is nothing to settle. Isn't that disappointing? There's no matter to be settled. There's just experience. There's no matter to be settled. There's just experience. It doesn't mean not to think. You have to think about how to do it. But fundamentally, it's just that you have an experiential day as opposed to that day of rushing, worrying, blaming yourself and finding fault with somebody else. Understanding begins to arise and your life gets clearer. You don't even think about it. It just gets clearer. Your true self begins to break loose. The intelligent and good use of the mind is very important in practice, but we often use it for judging rather than for understanding. We use it to see what someone else is doing wrong, to get angry, to talk to all our friends about it, and to talk to ourselves about it, sometimes for days or weeks. Sometimes you have a good friend and all of a sudden she stops calling you. You don't, <coughs> you don't see her at all anymore. I had a friend like that when I was very young. I was just married. We were friends with another couple. And we did all sorts of things together. 
little dinners or hikes. None of us had kids at that point. It was a nice friendship. We used to talk on the phone three or four times a week. Suddenly one day her calls stopped. When I tried to call her, I would get no answer. This was before voicemail or even answering machines. If she heard it was my voice, she would just hang up. I was devastated. What had I done? I never did find out. I never heard from her again. Wow, that's difficult. What's that called, ghosting? Oh, yeah. That's yes, what that's call. what it's called. What do we do when something like that happens? Do you think my big toe starts to work over time? No, it's not my big toe. It's my mind that returns to the same place over and over again. When this happens, it helps to label your thoughts. The mind tries to restore the reaction down to, I'm absolutely right and she's absolutely wrong. I'm not talking about the mind analyzing in the sense of a scientific problem, which can be helpful. I'm talking about this brutal thing my mind does, running around analyzing my neighbor when she doesn't return my phone call. Am I experiencing the pain of that? Or am I defending or reacting to the pain? Letting the mind run is a way of defending and reacting. Okay, where's the next one? Does it start with now for most of us? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Now for most of us, when really tough stuff is hitting us, our minds can't do anything except spin. There's one reason regular practice is, that's one reason regular practice is so important. Even if our life is uneventful and things are going pretty well, we'll build muscle. We're building the ability to lift a heavy weight when we have to. Years of sitting help us to help us be able to watch and finally to experience the misery we're going through. To be present and be miserable. It's the last thing we want to do. Amen to that. That's right. Yeah. Our work is to really feel our misery with no thinking as much as we can. If we can feel it without judging. It begins to heal itself. And out of that healing, a measure of understanding begins to appear about the whole situation that you're in. There is a calming and an ability to do something that makes some sense. That's neat that she's making this comparison, or I am maybe, with misery and a meal. Oh. You know, tasting it versus judging it. Yeah, and that parsnip, that was in the, uh, the previous chapter, wasn't it? Do one thing. Years ago when I was working, I always had, to, had a sign on my desk to never do more than one thing at a time. If I picked up the phone, I didn't write unless it was, that was required to take down a message. If I picked up the phone, I didn't open a drawer. I did each thing, ding, ding, ding. It was a training. A lot of training in, it, in itself is foolish, but it has to be done until the muscle changes its habit. Training is exercising the mind so it doesn't have so many automatic pathways to jump into. The jumping is what creates this feeling of being overwhelmed because we're so used to doing things our habitual way. 
sometimes it helps to begin with strict training. And then as your muscles get stronger, explore other things. What a uh, prescient paragraph to look back now at when, when our entire existence is a one long multitask. Mm-hmm. When we have three screens open in front of us, plus the phone. <laughs> I, I just feel like that's a really uh, prophetic thing she, she has, has pointed out. I mean, imagine it. I mean, you know, she was, she was, she was living in a time, she was writing this at a time when you probably dial the phone with a little rotary on it. Yeah. 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 So, well, sorry, go ahead, Kim. Another way I like to put this is just do your work. You might start small. Take one meal a day, for example, where you practice tasting, not judging. You don't have your phone or your book. You don't write or do something. Training in itself (laughs) is nonsense because life is fine just as it is, but we're not going to see that without the diligence of practice. So she's she's, um, replacing traditional training with practice, kind of. Mm -hmm. And training is more goal-oriented, isn't it? Well, sports training certainly is. <laughs> so, so can you remember, since you were an athlete, Ellen? You'd what, have a goal. You'd have a time, a time you wanted to make, that kind of thing, and a plan on how you were going to achieve that. My... Um, my nephew's daughter is, is a champion swimmer at, at, in California. I've told you about her, but she's trying to, you know, like knock off a tenth of a second or something. Yeah. And she'll do that in these little increments. Yeah. So that's training, it seems. Rather than practice that she's doing. Yeah, but... I mean, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I see the difference in those two things, but she's equating them, isn't she? I, I don't know. Well, she says training in itself is nonsense. Oh, I see. Yeah, because yeah. it sets a specific goal, whereas practice... I, I don't think... And, and call, we call so many things practice, you know, the practice of medicine, the practice of law, the practice of so many things. Um Practice implies understanding that there's never perfection, but there's always direction. Um, not necessarily a goal, but a but direction. There's a path. But, but I'm, I'm caught up on her sentence of you can create strict practice moments in your daily life scattered around your week. Does she mean like start Sazen exactly at 630 in the morning? Hey, um, where, where is that? Because somehow. Oh, I that's the next the I next paragraph. Oh, oh okay. well, see, I already leaped ahead. I'm not in the moment. <laughs> but but you know, before she talked about take one meal a day, for example, where you practice tasting. So rather than trying to you know redo your whole life, she's saying just do it in parts. In parts. Okay, who's reading? Red last. 
Did I read? Are you next, Nancy? Yes, I'm next. Okay. You can create strip. You can create strip practice moments in your daily life, scattered around your week. I had a student. Uh, I had a student who was a heart surgeon in LA, who was always a nervous wreck. He was really worn out. Mm. He adopted the practice that whenever he walked down a hospital hall. He did nothing but just feel the soles of his feet as he went down the hall. He could just put his attention on walking with no thought of the operation coming up on the one he just completed. Nothing but just feet, 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 feet. During this practice, he noticed with amazement, amazement that he was feeling less tired at the end of the day. His body, his whole being, got little bit of refreshment, so he could function better. Mm. Truly, when I try to just do one thing at a time, I feel less tired, and like sometimes I feel more energy. Instead, because kind of like I did not divide my energies into multiple tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's really hard. For not working multiple tasks nowadays, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, now that you want to do the last paragraph. Oh, I beg your pardon. We're not talking here about wasting time. In the long run, practicing like this is more, if you want to use an American word, efficient. The most inefficient thing to do, wait, the most inefficient thing is to be doing one thing while spinning your head about something else. <laughs> that does just wear you out, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> <laughs> and all I, that energy wasted on what ends up being sometimes just speculation, fear, right. fantasy, not, not so right. not reality. It just wipes you out. Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of uh, work with Linda's father um, building things, and and he would always um, just be so focused on the exactly the job we were doing. I'd be all over the place, and, and he would kind of like grunt whenever I started to, you know, go off to something else, and he kept me on task. Linda can do that too. She can keep me on task. She can just sit in the room, like doing taxes or something. And, and, you know, I'll get it done in two hours instead of two weeks. Wow. She's always on task. I can just, you know, a little bit I've been around her. I can oh, she's her. impossible. In she fact, yeah, like she won't come in if she's raking leaves or something. She won't come in until it's pitch black, dark. You know, because uh, she can't stop doing anything. Wow! Completely incapable. Huh. Or, or if she's supposed to like turn on the oven at four o'clock, but she's doing something else, she won't turn on the oven. I can depend on it. She can't handle that. Oh! Because she's so focused on what whatever she's doing. Hmm. You're a good balance to each other, then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to understand. I mean, we have to understand each other's limitations, I guess. Okay. 
Should we write now? I think we should. I, I think we got the most, uh, well, we seem to get the most mileage out of the, the conversation about tasting versus judging or experiencing versus analyzing. Um, Y'all want to build a prompt around that? Well, there's also the idea of, of what could we do um, for our practice? And how could we practice these things? Like, what could we, could we take one meal a day or could we take something we do or walking in, in the, in the, on the, the surgeon walking on the floor and feeling yeah. the soles of his feet? Well, anyway, we have choices, right? Well, we, could, we could do that that you were talking about, Kim, like maybe for uh, during the week. And then when we come back, talk about the experience. But for now, have a, white, a writing prompt. Okay. That's good. I'll buy it. Sweet. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to bow out now. So, oh, okay. Uh, so, what, so what should we uh, do during the week? That's How about I'm trying in one thing to just do that? To just do one thing. Okay. All right. Good okay. night. Good night. Okay. So we're going to write for 10 minutes. We're going to write for 10 minutes. So May maybe about, about uh, experiencing versus judging. Yes. Thinking about maybe when we're in the act or in an experience or having an experience, it could be walking in nature or it could be intimate time with a loved one, it could be eating a meal. How much of the analysis is part of the enjoyment or part of the experience? And how much of the analysis or judging or discernment takes over the experience? When, 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 so here's your prompt. When does discernment and judgment part of an experience and when does it take over the experience? Well, I'm, I'm going to think of a specific situation. Okay. Where that occurred. See y'all at 8, 12, 8, 13. Okay. Thank you. See y'all. Kim, the screen is stopped on you and Watching you draw is mesmerizing. Yes. Hard to concentrate. Looking forward to seeing your uh, drawing. Melda, what do you think? About Kim's drawing? I will tell you. <laughs> okay. I will read my story. All right. Yes, please. I heard of a man who was hit by a grackle's gift. <laughs> he quickly judged the grapple, grapple. He quickly judged the grackle, and if he had a gun, it would have been curtains. It would be curtains for the grackle. But then he got up from his bench to watch to wash off the gift. He then heard a bang, and a tree fell where he was sitting. The grackle had saved his life. And then it says, true story, ask Bev. And I'll show you the drawing. Wow. So that, and this really happened 
um, the other day. Isn't that amazing? The grackle saved the man. So the connection with our what we've been reading is that he went right to judgment about the grackle instead of experienced the gift. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a stretch, Kim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, what else happened? So I have a question. Does, yeah. the, does the result of the grackles, does, does the karma accrue to the grackles emolument maybe? Does he get to be born as a better bird next time around because of his uh, action? Or does the fact that it was, a, or the fact that the gift was so random, he doesn't get to, uh, it doesn't accrue merit. Well, the thing about merit is it has to be volitional. Right. So I don't know if Grackle's gift, giftings are volitional or just like happen. Okay. So that's the best I can do. You never have an ornithologist around when you need one. <laughs> okay. Kim, can you write down the word that you are saying, Grackle? Oh. I, I don't get it. And it's a type of bird. A bird. Someone tell me if I'm spelling it right, but I, that's what I think. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen. Yeah. Thank you. There are lots and lots of birds around our house. It, we have a, a pond and uh, there were like seven or eight blue jays, but there were a lot of, uh, I think, grackles across the street and just tons of birds around today. Okay. Who's next? Nelda. Oh, so my mind went to four different places I didn't realize at the time. And I was trying to draw that, that distinction between experience and judging. Yeah. And I remembered the guinea pig I ate in Peru. And I remember when, when I got there, it was it's a, considered a national delicacy. So I actually had a prejudgment to how wonderful this was gonna be if a whole nation ate it and thought it was wonderful. But I guess it's the, it was the equivalent for me on first try of what menudo is for a lot of people, um, because it was disgusting. And that was not a judgment. That I don't know that word. <laughs> menu, menu, menudo. 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 Yeah. It's made with hominy and uh, chili flavored water. You can use chicken broth or just water and uh, beef tripe. I see. Intestine. Okay. And it, it's amazing. And so anyway. It's um, good? You like oh, it? Oh, gosh. Yes. It's delicious. Okay. okay. And so... Um, I decided that I was being judgmental and I decided I would try it again because maybe I hadn't given it a chance. So I went to a second place that prepared it differently and I felt the texture and the texture was actually better and the, and the spicing and the heat in my mouth and it was absolutely disgusting. And so I thought, okay, all right, all right, that's another judgment. And long story short, 
by the time I tried it a third and final time, it, it being absolutely disgusting was just a simple fact. <laughs> it was just a fact. It was not judgment. It was like, this is not, this is not a flavor that would please me in any lifetime. Were you trying and to so, please someone in trying it over and over again? Uh, no, I was trying to give the guinea pig as, as prepared <laughs> and, uh, and another chance, an opportunity. Like maybe, wow. you know, you know how when you get a really bad taco, there are no bad tacos, by the way, but there are some tacos that are better than others. I thought, well, let me try this way. Let me try this way. And so that's when I noticed the other thing, so the second thing, I'll make this a little quicker. About most of the time that I sit down to eat, I first get that visual and, um, and smell. I look at the plate. I look at the arrangement. And then I do actually hear, taste, feel the fork, and, and in the process usually practicing if only for a moment a gratitude toward the people who made the plates or who designed forks or who were willing to go out and work in the fields and grow what something that's that's on my on my plate and so in that sense with a lot of meals I'm I'm very you know very very present with my meals generally um and then I, I went to, isn't the concept that we call judgment, and as an example of, of pain, I mean, I really covered by, colored by subjectivity. And, 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 and isn't that an easy way to discern what is judgment because it's so subjective? Like I am really cold when the temperature drops down to 70 degrees and most people aren't. Um, other people can't stand 95 degrees and I just think it's heaven. And so isn't, isn't that, doesn't that tell you when you're in the judge, I'm asking in the judgment zone when it's that subjective. And then the next place my mind went to was that this practice, someone once described Zen Buddhism as a, um, uh, what was it? A neuropsychological approach to spirituality. And I thought that was a great, a great definition. And then I was sitting here and I thought, actually, what it is, is a practice in resilience, among other things. You know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not removing the spiritual elements about us all being one and, and so on. But isn't it a practice, a spiritual practice of resilience, of resilience? That's what we learn to be. And I'm not saying just that. I, I, I said it much more eloquently somewhere. Oh, here. It is, it is a practice of relax, tolerate it first, become resilient because life is change and we learn to adjust to that. And then comes change and we adjust and then change comes again 
and we adjust. That's life. It is what it is. Wait, are those last words yours? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, they're neat. Yeah. No, they really. Go ahead. Okay. No, you go. Oh, just the way, just the way that you framed that, really, um, completely took it in a direction that I hadn't thought about, um, and it reminds me that that's why tolerance is one of the perfections, mm -hmm. right? It's one of the perfections in in Zen Buddhism is tolerance, um, and. Riffing on what Nelda's saying, I mean, I, I can see how living in the monkey mind and the analysis of every experience and is a way to avoid that, is a way to avoid, is a way to, to not develop tolerance almost, right? It's a way to not tolerate um, bad experiences, but also good ones. I never thought of that. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. There seems like there's some a really unhealthy way you can be tolerant or resilient, where you just kind of grin and bear it, where you you take it, where you don't cry because boys don't cry, you know. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. No, I don't think it is either. But but a lot of people take that as being resilient. Like, I don't care what he does to me. I'm just going to stand strong. That's not resilient. It's pretty complex, actually, emotionally. Or it is. To, to really do it and not just, you know, transfer it to something that's going to affect you for the rest of your life. Or numb out with TV or, yeah, yeah. you know, social media or any number of things. Yeah. That was, yeah, thank you so much. So, Glenn, how about you? No, I, I didn't get, I, I wrote, but it, I got off topic. Um, maybe next time. Okay, Nancy? Mine is very funny, and it's also kind of like, it's a little bit off too, because um, so I wrote about the meal that I have today. So I try to just focus on eating it and try to taste it, and then just do one thing at a time. But uh, instead of, actually, it's not tasting or ju judging at all, because while I was eating, my mind went up to uh, on the place. It's like, I think I make up a whole story about my future <laughs> and then I link it with the past. And then, so it's keep going around, around, around. While I'm still eating, eating, I don't think I really taste much. So I know that I'm, like, I'm, maybe it's just habitual that, oh, this meal in front of me and I just eat, but my mind is not there. And so I finished the meal without really noting, wait, I just finished it. It's no more. <laughs> were, so, were you eating slow or fast? Very slowly. I think I finished it by 30 minutes. Because that could be the problem. Because like in a sashin where we do this orioki, eating from bowls, you really have to eat fast 
to 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 eat and some of the people who are better at it um they'll eat very fast and so you have to keep up with them or, or you and you don't want to leave it because eventually you, you they pour water in your bowl and then you have to to drink the water and what's left over you can't leave anything in the bowl because you have to put then put your bowls away so you end up with you know so anyway there's not time to do anything but eat and then i was in st louis in this uh, monastery um they would they would no one would talk in either situation but there'd be no talking whatsoever when you did the vipassana thing it was probably the same way right no talking but did they eat pretty quickly in the vipassana thing no mainly you just eat at your um your pace oh no there's no room so, for it so with the orioke you're you're you have to keep up with everyone oh. and and that's more of a challenge and so there's not time to do anything, you know, to to have any lingering thoughts. You're just trying to, you know, to, to eat it. So maybe you could set so, the timer. I don't know, but that's health. That's not very healthy, is it, to eat fast like that? That's yeah, it's it. not healthy when you eat too fast, though. Yeah. Your stomach will have to digest a lot. Well, so also, you what you learn is not to take very much. Um. <laughs> So then you can pace yourself better. So it means that you will still be hungry if you take too little, right? Yeah, but it's better to be hungry than to have eaten too fast or, you know, yeah. So, so I, don't, I don't know that, you know, part of it is not really being hungry because you, um, I don't know, I, I didn't experience that. I experienced taking too much at first and then learning and then taking less, but uh, I didn't have a problem with hunger. Uh, so when you eat fast like that, you might just stay focused on the meal. Not right. Going. Yeah. You don't have time for, uh, and you don't want to spill your food and stuff like that. So. Len, how about you? Well, I I actually have to go. I I apologize. I will leave. Oh, I okay. just don't want to interrupt. But have a good okay. night. Okay. <laughs> thank you for coming. Thank you. Bye. Well, it is eight thirty almost in one minute. Today's oh, a uh, message. Oh, no, it's from you. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So listen to the grackle. Yeah. Um, thank you all so much. That was a beautiful evening. I appreciate yeah. it. Yes, thank you. See you soon. Yeah. Okay. Safe week. Be well, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Oh, we still have the next week, right? Are we? we we'll do this next week. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.